after party where we talk about what just happened, what could have happened, what might happen next time, and why the things that happen actually happen, the mechanics behind the game that we are all playing. Uh, boys, how do you feel? Tracy feels great. <laughs> we don't have to be in character this I time. I can't believe oh, that. Oh, thank God. I can't believe that Tracy feels that great, actually. No, tra- Brent, Brent. Tracy <laughs> is so pissed that he did not get to participate in our grand chopped uh, uh, bake-off here. But let's go roughly chronologically. So before we get to our great uh, our potion uh, cook-off, we started mid-fall, and we all lived, which was great. Yeah, you did. Good yeah, job did. not dying, everybody. Hey, thanks. There's an alternate version of how the episode went down where it starts with the <laughs> freeze frame, <laughs> and, freeze jo- frame. and Johnny B going, maybe wondering how I got here. <laughs> but it was promptly shut down. Yeah. I love it. But we all we all survived pretty well, and uh, we ended up united in the rookery. Um, I was really proud of my nat twenty there on the animal handling because mm-hmm. I just got to mind meld with some. What are they called? Bumblebirds. Bumbleates. Bumbleates. They're just not. I was gonna say bumble something else profane, but I want to keep things a little bit a little bit appropriate. She was gonna say bumble fucks. Bumble fucks. That's for the hotel lobby, Eric, not the after party. Uh, Of course, the fan cast about the after party. (laughs) Hosted by me. (laughs) One of the things I really liked that happened early on in the episode was a moment Anar had in Stoneface's room by inscribing "Thieves Can't" there. Just. A move that really surprised me in the moment because I've only ever heard of rogues attempting to read Thieves' Cant and never write it. Thanks, man. It's very rare that a thief actually cares about the other thieves enough to write that sort of thing. <laughs> that's that's a big deal. It's also like I, – I mean I, I think like shows how earnest Inara is at becoming a, a thief, a, a rogue, an assassin and trying to become a member of this illustrious crew of – vagabonds and vagrants and i was fawning a bit about it as as like a vet to a newbie it was pretty cool thank you i mean your approval means a lot um and i (laughs) i know i really and and i appreciate it because i think yeah one it's just a super cool thing like the mechanic of thieves can i just love i remember reading boxcar children novels when i was a kid and really loving the idea of like hobo symbols, you know, that, that you would carve on, like, stumps or whatever in, in and out of town. Um, so that's just always been a thing that I find really fascinating. And uh, I think you're totally right that it, it really is a character choice for Inara, where she's giving up a family and, you know, what kind of walking away from a tradition in a village and a clan that, like, loves her and that she knows really well in search of something that she can really call her own. And so being a part of this, like, tradition of um, of rogues and thieves with a language of their own, being able to, like, contribute to this body of knowledge that she's hoping to learn a lot from and getting and getting a lot from, just being part of that, like, identity and, and having her thieves tools and knowing how to pick locks. Um, I appreciate that you kind of caught that character choice. 
But also, I decided to do that as, I don't know, maybe coming from a, like a writer background, I want to leave little footholds into the plot, footholds into callbacks um, for our DM to do with what he will. And I thought it was just a, a good moment to like do something that could be just frivolous or could be just a character choice, but also perhaps could really mean something to the plot later on. I mean, something you may not know this, but Thieves' Can can also be very dangerous. You're leading people straight to you. And it could lead to you to danger as well. One of my favorite things this episode uh, was the fact that there are snacks in the alchemy room. <laughs> why are there so many snacks in the alchemy room? And because why didn't man I cave, get any? He has a mini fridge. It's like he's a mini fridge in, in his in his like little den. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but actually, though, like uh, the alchemy thing was was super interesting. I think you said last time in the after party that uh, you didn't like the way that D and D handles alchemy, or they don't handle it at all. Uh, like, what was the decision and what did you make up and what did you have to build and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Eric? So I actually had to build a lot of this from scratch. Uh, what What is in – even in 5e, which is so storytelling heavy, alchemy is not something that people understand how to do or it takes a lot of time. But, like, even if you were just messing around, you'd be able to mix a bunch of things together and swirl it around and it might be something. Is it a discipline like – Stealing or magic is a discipline? It is. But, like, there's no potion person. There's no alchemy class. There's, there's definitely no been maester. Homebrew. Right. There's no maester. Where there should be. Right. Which I always found to be silly. Like, even in, in uh, Unearthed Arcana, like, you have someone who is an engineer and can use a gun. But, like, there's no potion master, which is so, like, a thing that should go around with rogue um, and like, but you guys have herbalism kits and like potion kits, but like you're not that good at it. Yeah, it's, it's like tactical alchemy. It's 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 interesting. You have it's to like spend field magic. Yeah, or, you have to. Yeah. you have to spend a lot of time studying. Uh, some characters come pre-built with. Uh, Johnny has an herbalism kit and herbalism knowledge. You can have an alchemy kit and alchemy knowledge, but it also requires. You know, you when you start a new character, you just have kind of base level knowledge unless you do, you invest points into that. You can spend literal in-game time learning. It takes years, uh, which can happen in games. Uh, I had to make a – so to answer Brandon's other question, uh, I spent a lot of time poking around online trying to figure out how to build a lot of this stuff out. Uh, so I cobbled together like a lot of different components of – alchemy together and i'm going to show with all of our patrons but i have a literal table of 20 uh like ingredients and then i have 10 modifiers and i wanted to see if you guys might pull two modifiers what do you want it to do i mean the ingredients were right there and it's like do you want to beat another person do you want to actually like try to figure out what you're doing both of you tried to figure out what you were making which was really fun uh but i just like kind of was trying to give you as much to play with and uh, the chance in there so you had a table where no matter what the dice rolls that we got, there would be an answer for it, right? So like mm-hmm. 20 options and then 10 options because we rolled a D20 and D10. And so you had you had things written down for whatever the dice roll may be. Yeah, that's a really easy thing for DMs to do if you feel like putting in the work is like you don't necessarily want to force something on players, but you can use chance to like pick what you wanted. So I have 20 here. And I mean, there are a bunch that y'all didn't pick, which are some pretty fun things. And the modifiers all like kind of messed with the potion a little bit 
Um, so that's like the year delay or or other things. Yeah, like so Emmerich Wax is actually a delay by 12 hours. Right. So it kicks in 12 hours later, which is like kind of cool. I mean, that might happen and yeah. it might be a little weird. If you're poisoning someone else, that's pretty convenient because they go home and, and don't know what happened to them. Exactly. But like if you mix it with the wrong thing, like you're mixing it with your lycanthropy, you're going to be like, oh, I'm well, not. this didn't work. Like, I'm oh. not. But no, that isn't what happened. But like, if that had <laughs> happened, they would have like drank it and been like, oh, nothing 12 happened. 12 hours later. Oh, no. It's like, oh, I'm a wolf. Wolf Oops, time. my bad. So where did the chopped uh, aspect come from? You know that I watch chopped almost every day after work when I go home. Uh, so what what is the idea behind the chopped here? I mean, everyone loves these cooking shows, these cooking battle shows. I also just got like full on cable at my apartment. So I've been watching so much Food Network lately. <laughs> it was say yes to the dress or chopped, one or the other. Exactly. And like no one's going to come out and be like, do these robes match? And be like, I don't think so. But I'm sure all of us. This is way out of my price range, but I love it. These robes are my favorite. But I'm sure all of us with our siblings have like invented dumb shows, right? Or like Mm. ripped off game shows to do to do some kind of like contest with our siblings. Oh yeah. So Um, I I thought that was inspired choice. I loved it. uh, I mean, I'm a twin, so I know exactly how that stuff goes down. And the fact that like they could rope you guys in, and you y'all were just down to compete to compete. I committed. We never we never said yes or no to the challenge. We just we just did it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, not not sure that was like a a full Johnny move, but the the concept was just so cool. I was I wasn't gonna say no. I love it, and like I I have uh, twin siblings. I have a brother who's like a, thirteen months younger than me, so we're like Irish twins, et cetera, et cetera. But like we have made up these game shows for ourselves as well, and I just totally loved it. Um, but what is the race of Dragonborn? What I just haven't heard of them before. All I know is the like Sycorax from a Doctor Who, and that's my only kind of like like template for Dragonborn. You just made me very happy. You got it, Brando. We're going to just touch hands slowly across the table. I mean, there are common races, which are like human, elf, dwarf, even halfling and gnome are kind of like more common in regular cities. But like beastly races, such as a dragonborn, might be a little bit different. So they kind of only pop up every once in a while. So a dragonborn is really what it sounds like on its face. Like Skyrim has its own dragonborn. There are other like lizard people that are all over the place. But like dragons, as in Dungeons and Dragons, who would have thought, are a big deal. (laughs) It's like a half human, half dragon hybrid with like a humanoid shape, but dragon everything else. And so when you read the Dungeons and Dragons like player handbook, they talk about how rare various races are. Mm -hmm. So when you're creating as a DM your own universe, are there given constants like like how relatively common various races or terrains or what our languages are? Or can you really like make your own universe where like everyone is dragonborn and, you know, elves are like the minority? Oh, yeah, you can absolutely do that. A lot of people just stick to fantasy convention, which is D&D does a really good job of kind of like laying down what they want and what they believe. Meaning like general kind of like, oh, there are elves, there are dwarves and like dragons are rare and just kind of stuff you glean from like most fantasy books. Right. I have two more things I want to ask about. Um, one, at some point we talked about rolling perception. So when we got that second ingredient, I got the root and y'all got the wax. I didn't even think to roll perception on what that root was. I was so excited by the lycanthropy. <laughs> so my my more general question is like, what is the the level of general observation, like a regular person walking into a room or meeting a new person and noticing stuff, like details you give us versus mm. rolling perception? Like what is that line and, and how does it differ? There's also the concept of like passive wisdom, which I've never truly understood. All right, that's like, yeah, there are like three things happening at the same time. Okay. <laughs> okay. I am never going to make you go into a room. It's not like someone 
blindfolded you as you walk into a room and then like that you take it off and be like our roll perception now you're in a room it's you can look around right where it's like starting from a baseline of nothing like there is a baseline of something yeah uh so you're all you can always look around and figure out where you are it's like i'm in a dungeon it is it's kind of gross down here and there's only one exit and uh, there's like some stuff on the ground. There, it's it's muddy. It's like a like, first glance type yeah. thing. But perception would be like finding general details out, and then you can go focus in a little bit more if you want to investigate something, and then you run an investigation check. Passive perception would be like if someone is sneaking up on you, or if something is happening like near you. So if someone is trying to shoot an arrow at you, do you have the passive perception to get out of the way? Or if someone is sneaking up on you, what do they have to roll? for a stealth check to beat your perception. And in that, Tracy specifically has an ability that actually rolls into... Danger sense. Yeah, talk about that for a moment, because I don't think we've talked about it before. We haven't, because I haven't used it before. Uh, so <laughs> at a second, <laughs> as a second level barbarian, I get a, a skill called danger sense, where um, I have an uncanny sense of when things nearby aren't as they should be. And uh, I, it allows me to an edge when dodging away from danger. I have an advantage on deck saving rolls against effects that I can see, such as traps and spells. So it's not like you're looking out for something that's happening. You just have that, like, you know, awareness around you. And some, if someone's trying to sneak up on you, you understand. Yes. It's a spidey sense. That's that's what it is. It's not actually very helpful. You yeah. just know that something's about to happen. Is it that that plate is going to fall and you have to save it because you're in a cafeteria? Or is there a nuclear bomb about to explode? You don't know because that's a super helpful power. For sure. <laughs> Friendly neighborhood robot man. <laughs> that is what I uh, aspire to be. Robot man, robot man. He can do whatever robot okay. can. Can he run through a wall? Probably because he, he has can. rage. Because he is a rage. <laughs> Look out. Here comes Tracy. Tracy. He is a robot. That's our song for this episode. And finally, we are closing again on a tableau, but this time we're rolling initiative. So, y'all, what does that mean? Uh, initiative is the order in which people fight. It's kind of like the structure that D&D imposes on battles. This is actually your first formal battle that you're going to do against uh, the gun and the shadows. So previous to now, we've just kind of been acting like you'll say, oh, Inara, what are you doing? You know, uh, Johnny, what are you doing? Or I will kind of like leap up to do something if it, the idea comes to me. But in a battle situation, it's a little more formulaic, right? Like you you have to kind of figure out whose turn is when. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So strictly speaking, like on that first episode, we made the conscious decision to not roll initiative uh, because we wanted we, – we favored uh, the, the storyline over the – Kind of uh, slowed down aspect of fights sometimes in D and D uh, for that specific. When uh, with Nessie? Yes, like, well, against the against the Grungs, the little frog. Oh frog yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. In episode two. Yeah, but I think that makes sense. I mean, you'll see the difference here in episode two. Um, they had a goal, which was to throw Grungs at Greg and Alonzo, while your goal was to stop them. And that's not necessarily a battle or a fight. That's like more like a contest or like two things happening at the same time. Yeah. Well, this is literally going to be like these things want to hurt you or hurt all of you. And I think like you guys need to like defend yourselves and really tussle. Yeah, every time I imagine an initiative taking place, I imagine the uh the like cutscene in Pokemon when like yeah. you a wild weedle <laughs> appears. Yeah, exactly. It's like no 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 
Yeah, I mean, we had so many options of how to deal with the wedding uh, in that scene in the wedding. And with this, it's just going to be one real option. It's going to be incapacitating these guys and stopping their nefarious deeds. Not necessarily. Okay, and Tracy's <laughs> going to try to befriend a gun. <laughs> Hi, I'm also a mechanical thing. Hello. I'm Tracy. I'm great. <laughs> but most of the time, that's how a battle ends, is like one of you is not walking away, either because you're incapacitated or because you're dead. There's rarely other, there's rarely recourse, apart from just fighting each other. Yeah, I mean, I, not not to spoil anything, but charming people also works. Oh, Wink. no. Is that a spell you have? That is a spell I have, oh, but no. I'm not sure it will work depending on how humanoid these things are. That will be a question. There, it's a gun and two shadows, so I'm thinking not that humanoid. <laughs> Listen, there are a bunch of ways to resolve initiative. It's just like that's kind of like D&D shorthand for like that Pokemon cut screen. It's like a battle is going down, but it can end just like in Pokemon. Either someone, everyone is knocked out or you can run or something else happens. It's not a, it's really good and interesting and complex D&D games can resolve um, fights in various different ways. So just real quickly, let's just say initiative is when everyone rolls and you go in order of the highest roll, so including the monsters. So monsters roll a 20 and I roll a 5, the monsters go before me and I go second. And we take turns and we take an action. Time kind of changes a little bit to accommodate everyone acting at the same time. It is a little bit of a bullet time, but every single person's turn, like their action and their movement, is six seconds in total. Um, it's not really happening simultaneously, but it's like some people are faster than others, so they get their punch or they get their stab or they get their movement faster than other people. So each person like has six seconds to themselves to like hurt some stuff. And that was kind of my perception of D&D as an outsider is that, oh, you roll for every little thing. So you roll to like walk down the path or you roll <laughs> to like, you know, see if you catch that fish in that stream for dinner. Like that was kind of my idea is that every single thing is determined by the dice or is math. Um, but rolling initiative to me is the like purest idea of what D&D actually is, which is like I have an intention as Amanda, as a player. But what Inara can actually accomplish is determined by whatever my dice say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the idea behind initiative is that it kind of balances everything out. So, like, if you have a super powerful wizard, he doesn't just on the first turn blast his level six spell and destroy it and the battle's over. Right. Like, kind of thing. So I think it's it gives everyone an even playing field. And you have to be creative, too, because if, if your role really stinks and you have to find out, a, uh, you know, something else to do, or me, who's not a fighter whatsoever, if Inara, like, gets some incredible hit and is able to use her, like, crappy short sword to, you know, <laughs> decapitate some big monster, like, that, to me, is the fun and the interest of the game. Yeah, exactly. We are very excited to start answering your questions during the after party. There are now people actually listening to the shows that we are putting out there, and it is very exciting. Um, So our very first listener question comes from at underscore Kaylee Rose underscore. We'll credit you in the description, girl. We love you. Hey, you were one of our first listeners. Thank you so much for joining. And our first Patreons. So thank you so much, Kaylee. She's the, hey, do you guys know she's the coolest? She is the coolest. A word on the street. I talk to these kids who are just hanging out on the street. Infidopolis, yeah, yeah. Coolest. She's like that person that comes to the party like forty minutes late, but like everyone stops what they're doing. They're like, like, damn, oh my gosh, party here. started. It has been an age since I've seen Kaylee, her, but she it has is been the best. An age, she's the best. I think she brought ice. She did, which is like the most Ooh, underappreciated and beautiful part of the party. So Kaylee asks, "Do any of you do anything special to get in character?" And then in parentheses, theater nerd question. Well, Kaylee, good news. Most of us are theater nerds, so we are here for you. Hey. All right. So first of all, 
whenever any of us have to do character voices and we haven't done them yet for the night, we do say one line in particular to get in character. Brandon, what is your line? My line is 100%. Tracy feels great. And then you get into character I, flawlessly. I get it, yeah. Michael, what is your line? I mumble off to the side towards where Brandon's sitting and go, Hi, I'm Johnny B. Goodlight. You do. I'm here to sell you a car. And the, the best part is before each episode, I just like say that like a thousand times and still can't do it every single time. And it's all about that like, I'm ready to sell you the best damn pre-owned vehicle <laughs> that you've ever heard of, seen, or whatever. Hey, Anara. Hey, hey, Amanda. Hey, what's Anara's? What do you want? I feel like I just like ans- like I just ask a petulant question, and that puts me into Inara voice, um, which is great. But I mean, I think going forward, I can just pretend to talk to Stoneface, and that will get me super into character. So, uh, Eric, how? What? Where do these accents come from? Oh, How so do you specific, do this? God. It's so specific and so good. So I like, have, where did Danny Zuko come from? So my character voices, I try to pull from just like whatever impressions I already know. Uh, some of them are actually just my voice. Greg and Alonzo are pretty much my voice. Um, Greg is a little pitched up. Uh, Alonzo is pretty much straightforward because I know that he has a lot to say. Um, really important older people, so such as Sylvanas. Uh, Kiko, they usually speak a little bit lower and a little bit more solemn, just like, hello. Gravelly voice, like James, is just kind of like the back of the throat. It's like, hey, don't mess with me. I'm going to beat you up. Also, use a flower. Um, <laughs> Tammy and Taylor, obviously, just like kind of really high, like pitched out. And um, Stoneface is Danny Zuko. Uh, it's my terrible Grease impression. And Crowd I just, favorite. And I just do everything that I think Danny Zuko would do. I had a f- uh, my friend Joe would always say this thing that, from Greece, and J- Sandy Sandy says to Danny like in the in the call, he was like, "You're just jealous." And then he says, "Jealous, Sandy? Don't make me laugh." Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so I always just think about that. So, or I'm doing like the f- combination between Danny Zuko and the Fonz. So Stoneface, I I just go um. Hey, I'm Stoneface. Hey, and then I just go from there. Every time Stoneface talks, he does that. <laughs> Every does. single time, which is in so my good. notes from the episode, I have a Stoneface A just written down. I don't know why. I just wrote it down because it was happening so much during the episode. There are just characters that I feel like that have, are fully formed in my head. It's a little bit harder that I've written them, and then I need to put voices to them. And um, I don't want to repeat the same. Like having Alonzo and Greg have the same voice is a little frustrating to me. But like I can't differ. Their voices don't stand out in my head. I can't differentiate it. And there are characters that come back, um, you know, into the campaign and actually need to have a role in the plot. So at a certain point, having a distracting voice would be distracting to the story. So it makes sense that the characters that come back again and again will be a little bit closer to natural for you. Yeah, it would be weird if a annoying voice was constantly around. <laughs> Michael, that's just in your soul. It's just the authoritative dad that is Johnny B. Goodlight. Related question is from Errol at I-R-R-E-L, the dopest designer of Dungeons & Dragons merchandise uh, out there. Oh my God, we so own good. your pins. We own your t-shirts. Shirts? Oh, yeah. We just low-key buy everything you create. So thank you for that. And keep making it because we'll keep buying it. Please keep making it. <laughs> um, but asks how we came up with our characters. So real quick, I'd love to hear from all of you, um, I guess, Brandon and Fish. And we'll just hear from Eric on an ongoing basis where these wonderful NPCs come from. And Amanda as well. You're going to talk about your. Oh, I will. Too. Don't okay. worry. Don't worry. Um, but boys, where did your characters come from? When we were like piloting this podcast, I wasn't I like a um, 
a changeling? I think you I was were, a changeling. Were, oh my gosh, cha- yeah. The yeah. fucking changeling. Whoa. It was so difficult to keep track of these two in our pilot, which you will never, ever, 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 oh, no. ever, 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 ever see. No. No, no, it wasn't even a pilot. It was just a, tr- it was a trash, a trash, it was a a trash fire. It was I a had flaming a, trash can. I had a changeling on from Brandon, and I had a moon druid from Fish. But, but and, could it change form? Yeah, so like you would always polymorph. So like both of you were just like switching between characters and no one could keep track of you. And you're just like, now I'm an ant and no one knows who I am. We were confused about it several times too, which was just nuts. Yeah, that It's was... like now I'm a rat and it's Ratatouille. Literally <laughs> a plot point. Literally a plot point actually, of the pilot. Actually, we moved true. on. We moved on. I think what happened was that Amanda and Fish pick their classes first. I wanted Fish to be magical because he has the most experience. I thought he was going to go straight wizard and we can talk about that later. But I know Amanda wanted to be a little flip teen and Fish was going to be magic so you had to be punchy. And I think we were talking about how like Fighter was a little hard to deal with. I didn't want to be so like boxed in and or like not Fighter, not that Fighter is boring, but like Fighter is very straight ahead. Um, but it is, and that's why I wanted to be one because I wanted to be different to my actual personality. And so, doing something that had a like clear list of things that she could do and things she couldn't, and ways she'd react to a situation, is why I chose to be a rogue. Um, and so, I think you just went the different direction. Okay. You were almost a paladin there for a hot second, but then it was just like too hard to learn on the fly. But how did how did the Warforged part happen? Uh, that I don't remember. The, I think I did go class first. I was looking at paladin, and I got to like I think we almost started at level three at one point, and level three paladin is just. It's literally too much text for me to like comprehend in my brain at yeah, one time. So much going on. Um, so I think I just need to simplify and um, barbarian, for all of its minuses, has a lot of pluses and simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Warforge actually complements that very well. And I, it was an unearth arcana. Uh, that was when UA had come out, and right. we're just like, I was like, all right, you're gonna be a barbarian, but you weren't that happy with it. Uh, and then we're just like, oh, but what if you were a robot? Yeah. Yeah. We're also, and I think I may have talked about this before, but the fact that our classes aren't really determining exactly what we can do, we're being really open about it. And I think uh, being a Warforged really complements that because even in previous editions, like it's so versatile and it means more than just the class it is. As for Johnny, I think my first ever World of Warcraft character was a Warlock. And I've, I think maybe only ever once played as a Warlock in D&D and it wasn't for that long and I really liked it. Um, we played with a warlock whose patron was the Raven Queen. Yeah. Which was an Unearthed Arcana that was really cool. It was really dark and it was like complicated. And I am someone who's nowadays like more into like more positive things anyway. And the whole idea of the Undying Light being just a the positive plane and positivity. And since warlocks are all about charisma and it's all about like – you know, hey, it felt like it, it would work perfectly with a warlock and also be a, a nice twist to a warlock, which most are like brooding and unhappy and sad and just being a, you know, not completely happy-go-lucky, but someone more positive, you know, feels good as a character. And it, it's like more how I'm feeling these days. So, Amanda, how did yes. you get to Anara? Uh, I just thought that a rogue would be the most opposite to what I actually am, which is a creature of law and order and uh, <laughs> and routine um, and predictability and, and loving the rules. Um, so I just basically wanted to push myself to be as different to my real life choices as I could get. And I think the experience of um, 
leaving home really abruptly and reinventing oneself is one that I didn't really have. I sort of like slid out of home slowly and uh, and just sort of grew into the person that I already knew I wanted to be in real life. So having a character who is really just having the first opportunity to live out the life that she wants to live and to learn new skills and to be rebellious and really commit to that and honor that urge is something I didn't get to do as a person. Um, and it's really fun to make those choices as a character. Are you saying role-playing lets you imagine a different life than you have? You know, it sure does. And I, even though I did theater in high school, um, I never acted and I never got it. But now I sort of get that impulse because it is really fun and therapeutic and cathartic almost to just inhabit the head of someone different. Gosh, role playing sounds like a thing everyone should do and is not just something for like nerds. No, it's not. And listen, like I I'm a queer lady. I play a gay character. Like like you can be whatever you want to be on your games and you can find DMs that are great and you can find players who are super accepting and and affirming and like you can live lives that you want to live in fantasy. That's actually really interesting about the theater thing cuz I was not in theater. I've never been in theater. I think I was in theater for one year in 6th grade. But the active role playing that I've come to to do in these episodes, like maybe like three, four and onwards has been, like you said, like weirdly like satisfying and cathartic at the same time. Like it, it does cause me stress, which is like weird that. A f- yeah, like why would my character's distress cause me actual distress in yeah, real life? A group of fictional characters in an imaginary world is act- is causing me actual physical stress yeah. and like. I don't know. It's a really it's a really interesting concept for me. I was telling someone uh, today that really the days that we play D&D are the days I sleep the best because I feel so exhausted mm. and so yeah. mentally and emotionally like I did everything today. Yeah. And it's just listening to our episode zeros, our our meet the character episodes, like listening to just my own excitement in my voice talking about Inara leaving home for the first time. Like I am I am almost nostalgically transported back to leaving home at 18 in a way that I didn't do. Like I moved 30 minutes away from home and went to school in the city that I lived in. At you know, and and like I don't know, it just it just unlocks emotional, nostalgic, imaginatory parts of me that I haven't activated before. Now, if you think it's tiring controlling one player, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> let me tell you, having a conversation with three of yourself is very complicated. You're married to yourself and trying to assassinate yourself. Uh, and folks, even though this is the after party, the the party continues. In the hotel lobby, which is social media. So if you follow us at Join the Party Pod on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, we're at jointhepartypod.com. And if you want to be our, I don't know, favorite person, if you want to throw us a couple bucks. If you yeah, want to be another one of Johnny's best friends. If you, you want to earn be our love. Johnny be good friend. In, infinite friends. If you want to earn our love by giving us money. It, our love can be bought. <laughs> and that is by joining us at patreon.com slash join the party pod. You can get maps. You can get character sketches. You can get bloopers. You can get early access to our episodes. It's um, it's really a lot of great stuff. A live stream with us. So just check us out at patreon.com slash join the party pod. Yeah, if you want a list, if you want my really, really cool <laughs> Google Docs table of all of the possible ingredients that could have went down and chopped, I'll share it with you. Just throw me a couple bucks. 
Yeah, for sure. So so join us over on Patreon. And uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, if you have questions, if you have suggestions, if you have stories about ways that your campaigns have gone, please let us know. We really want to hear about it. We're joining the party pod at Gmail. Um, but until then, we will see you in two weeks. See you later. Bye, guys. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yes! Yes!